0: Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy. Today our guest is Darren Lynn Valsman, director of the new film Spiral from the book of Saw. And you are about to hear me have about as much fun as I've ever had doing an interview. First, Spiral is great. It keeps all the shocks and gristle that Saw fans love. But it's also very funny, thanks in large part to Chris Rock, who brings the Saw franchise back and takes it in a very cool new direction. I talked to Darren Bassman about why he decided to rejoin the franchise after directing Saw 2, 3, and 4, and then deciding never again. I don't know how many Zoom calls I've done over the last year, but Bassman has, bar none, the coolest backdrop of anyone. He spoke to me from a room in his house with red walls, red furniture, and memorabilia from all of his movies, not just the Saw films, but also his other films like 2010's Mother's Day, uh, Billy the Puppet. From the Saw movies was peeking out over his shoulder. So was the little pig that torments Chris Rock in Spiral. (laughs) The room is, of course, the first thing I asked him about in our conversation, which you're about to hear. At one point, you're going to hear a pause where he actually pulls out a bunch of back issues of Movie Maker magazine, which was incredibly flattering, but that's not even my favorite part of the conversation. He was so much fun to talk to. So without further ado, here's Darren Lynn Bassman. Director of Spiral, in theaters this Thursday, May fourteenth.
1: Do your kids go in this room? Uh, yeah, and they freak the fuck out. And I apologize for the swearing, but they are—they are not happy. Uh, they come in here and just cry and scream. And uh, you know, specifically when these two guys are out, the guys behind me, they—they um, they lose their mind. Um, so, and I've got, I've got other monsters too. It's not those guys. You just can't see them, but they're monsters like way back there in the corners. I've had to hide most of everything I have because I have I used to have all these masks just everywhere. And now they're all hidden behind chairs and whatnot. But oh my God. it's fantastic. I absolutely love it.
0: <laughs> uh, so I don't know if you'll remember this, but well, of course you won't remember this because it was 12 years ago and you've done hundreds of interviews since then. But we spoke when you did the movie Repo in oh, yeah. Um, which was great. And you had the best story that I'm hoping you can tell
1: people today of how you broke in by impersonating lying your own. Lying and cheating about my own agency and lawyer. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I've told this story numerous times now. And, I, and I, I'm sure if you go back and compare the first version of the story 12 years ago to now, I've probably embellished it because every time I tell it, I feel like I add a few facts. But uh, yeah, so I used to work so, so basically, I was fired from every job I ever had, every PA job, every, every assistant job, I was just fired. I was, I was a bad assistant. I was a bad PA. Um, and, I, you know, I remember this, this sounds cliche, but I was actually given that classic line, you'll never work in this town again, when yeah. I was fired off Van Wilder, uh, which is yeah. a great movie with Ryan Reynolds. Uh, so during this time, I was writing my own first script called The Desperate. And it was this basically um, a very big embellishment of my own desperation in life uh, and what I would do out of my desperation. Um, But I couldn't get anyone to read it. And um, I was never finished with the script. I was always like stuck on like the midpoint. And I ended up getting a job as an assistant at an agency. At that time, it was an agency, uh, uh, APA so i realized that the assistants were the gatekeepers it was not the agents it was the assistants because if an assistant liked the script they would give it to an agent and they would they would do coverage on it so i had this idea that i always went out and drank with the assistants and i pitched them my idea and i said i wonder if we could create a bidding war on my script and and we all kind of in a drunken night hatched a plan and the plan was i was going to submit my script um, and it was going to, they were going to write coverage on it and gave it strongly consider coverage. And I was going to be able to make the movie. And so I slapped a cover page on it with a fake name. I called it James Luther. Wait a minute. You know what? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh my God. <laughs> I have this. Hold, on. hold on. This is going to be great. This is going to be great radio because no one can see what I'm doing. So yeah, I'm wonderful
0: not- audio, but I'm going to describe okay. the background. We have the poster for saw four. Uh, we have the poster for Mother's Day. We have another poster I don't recognize. The entire room is like red velvet. Um, very nice drop lights, red walls. It looks like a it looks like a really upscale version of a room where you would be trapped in a saw contraption.
1: Yeah, it absolutely was. So hold on one second. If it's not here, I'm going to give up. But I think it's right here. So hold on. Ah. Let's see. Let's see. Oh 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 oh! My God my God right. the desperate so this is the original script of the desperate um, but originally the cover page um, said James Luther is the writer so I put a fake I put a fake name on it uh, let me fix my camera I put a fake name I put a fake um, agency that I and you could never do this today because of the internet you could you could reverse Google search it but I had a phone number set up that a friend of mine made a recording to and it was a fake lawyer um, so after I did all of this, um, I had my friends write coverage based on the 60 pages or 55 pages I had written. So they didn't even read the full script. They just, they, they based it on that small amount that I had written. And they did strongly consider, strongly consider. W- well, that got into the studio system and a bidding warp kind of started on a movie that did not exist and was not written. Uh, and then when I realized that, that that phone number was getting called and that people were actually calling my fake manager and fake agent, um, I was like, "Holy shit! I got to finish this." Uh, so I, I wrote the script, and about a week after that, I fin- it was it was the driving force that I needed, and uh, that script was ended up what got me into Lionsgate to direct Saw two. They uh, they it got to Twisted Pictures. Twisted Pictures read it. Luckily, the script lived up to the hype. They made an offer. They attached me to it, but I don't know if I told the second lie story. That's only the first one. There was another much bigger, in my opinion, a much bigger lie after that. So um, they were supposed to make Salt. They were supposed to make the Desperate as its own movie called The Desperate, and it was going to be a one million dollar movie. Hold on, I'm trying to fix this camera so you can actually see me. So sorry. Ah, okay. So they were supposed to make it as its own movie called The Desperate for one million dollars. Well, in that time of the $1 million thing, saw one comes out to Sundance and it, people love it. So right. they said, Lionsgate to the Twisted Pictures. We need to make a sequel right now. Well, they didn't, they weren't ready. They didn't have one. Warren <laughs> Coolest, one of the producers says, what about The Desperate, that script that young filmmaker wrote? So I had my lawyer say the only way I would do it is if I could direct it. So I get brought into Lionsgate and I'm sitting in a room full of like 20 executives and they said, so we understand you want to direct this, but why should we let you direct it? And I get this whole big thing about how James Wan was a first time filmmaker. And then I and then they said, well, have you ever directed anything? And I said, absolutely. I've, I've directed a ton of stuff. I have I've won all these awards at short film contests for genre work. And Peter <laughs> Block, the head executive, says, great, we want to see one of those uh, one of those short films that you've directed and won a short thing off of. I've never directed shit. So I I leave Lionsgate and I call my parents and I'm like, I need money right now. Uh, (laughs) And they wired me money. And that weekend I went and shot this short called Zombie, uh, edited it together on a Sunday and then brought it into Lionsgate. And they hired me off of this short film that I told them that I'd won all these awards on. Uh, All a lie, all of it. Okay, so your career
0: at this point is you're a PA who's not getting incredibly well paid to be a PA and you're also a PA who's getting fired and an assistant who's getting fired what kind of financial situation are you in? If I can get a little,
1: do you want to hear one more great part of this story? Is um, I'm looking up because there is a letter that is. I'll give you visuals. <laughs> there is a letter hanging above my desk, which is which is this right here, and it's a letter from my dad. And basically, the letter is dated April twenty first, two thousand three. And with this letter was a check in it, um, basically saying, "Darren, we love you. We want to support you, but we are running out of money." We, we, you know, we just paid for your film school. After we dropped out of college, we've been sending you money. We can, we, we, your mother and I want to support you and we need a plan. And he says one year from the date, we can no longer send you any money. This is Uh on April 21st, 2003. And he ends it by saying Mark, November 1st on your calendar on that day. If you still have not sold your first screenplay, if you've not made money, if you have no money in the bank, what will your plan be? Take care of yourself. Your mom and I love you and want to support you. But you must have a plan. Love you, Dad. Wow! I sold the Saw screenplay eleven months and two weeks after that letter. So, <laughs> so um, my financial situation was bleak, uh, and it didn't get better. I mean, even on Saw two, I made less than minimum because I wasn't DGA when that happens. So, oh gosh, I'm, i have a new camera, and I cannot figure out that. Wait, nope, too high. Almost done. I promise you, we'll get. You're this. good.
0: The audio is the important Obviously. part.
1: Okay so um yeah the so you know i was living you know i was living paycheck to paycheck uh and then you know it even during saw two i didn't have any money because i was a first-time filmmaker Mm -hmm. um i lived in a studio apartment uh and i in fact i stayed in that studio apartment up until saw four because i just was in toronto and it wasn't until i made repo that i actually moved out and got my first like townhouse so i just had this little shitty studio apartment in north hollywood
0: I think this is just so good for people who are making their first movie now and f- trying to figure out how to break in. This is a wonderful primer. Just lie to everyone. Set yourself a deadline. You'll make it. I, I love it, though. It it really, it pays off. Like, you
1: have the drive. You just have yeah. the create pain, And you kind yeah, of to- Exactly. I think you've got to do that thing, which is fake it till you make it. Um, and also, you know, one of the things that my parents instilled uh, with me, which was very important, was they... Uh, you know, you've got to believe in yourself because you have to be your biggest champion. And so as a filmmaker, I was my biggest champion. And because no one's going to fight harder than you are for yourself. So, um, you know, I just took that with everything when I came to Los Angeles. Now, again, I don't recommend anyone do what I did because (laughs) it will not work. The internet now can catch every liar, but it worked for me.
0: Okay. Are you really forgiving to assistance PAs now? Like, have you paid it forward?
1: I I have. I, I, I have. And in fact, you know i will say and maybe i'm going to regret saying this because the minute this podcast comes out everyone's going to, i'm going to open the floodgates i would say that 95% of my assistants and i have all remained friends and they've moved on to become just like come to our house and just, as friends is uh, bypassing the assistant thing yeah. um and uh yeah so i i think so uh I've only fired one PA in my day and I, I, it's a great story. I'll tell you some real, I'll try to make it some really quick, but, uh, doing, doing saw three, uh, there was a guy who was, maybe it was saw four, saw four. Um, there was a guy who was a huge fan and he was so excited to come work on saw and to work with me. And, uh, I was like, Hey, this guy's pretty cool. And so he'd always come in and like, ask me some obscure horror stuff. And I always tried to go out of my thing to talk to him. So one day he goes, um, hey, you know, Rob Zombie's coming to town. And this is in Toronto. And I knew Rob and I was like, yeah, he's like, it's sold out, man. He was like, I'm so bummed out. I love Rob Zombie. I love his movies. So I call Rob Zombie up and I get, I get a ticket for him. And so the next day he comes to, he comes to work and I have two tickets on his desk and uh, he, he comes in my office. And he's like, did you do this? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, this is for general Mission. Could I get anything better? And I was like, Ugh, no, what? No. Like, I was like, I had, to, I had to call in a favor to get you those. Still didn't. Okay. So that happened. Next day, I find out he didn't go to the Rob Zombie concert. He was, he was, he just didn't. He goes, I don't, I don't do general admission. Okay. So, so there's that. So, wow. cut to about a week later, I call him because I need something picked up for me. And so I'm like on prep, doing pre production. And I call him and I was like, Hey, man, I've got a suit that I have to get picked up. I'm going to this dinner tonight. And then he goes, are you really asking me to get your laundry? Are you kidding me? And so that <laughs> that was the time I was like, oh, no, that wasn't the moment. The moment I got him fired was I caught him posting a spoiler on Ain't It Cool News. Oh, uh, I, I walked behind him and I saw Ain't It Cool News open and he shut his computer very quickly. And then uh, uh, the next afternoon, or maybe it was a couple of days later, we caught that he was actually putting stuff up on Ain't It Cool News. So that was the only time I've ever fired anyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. Oh yeah,
0: let's name them. Let's do it. Let's, uh, let's
1: write, let's, yeah. (laughs) As I was pulling out the desperate, I found it buried with, look, all of these, all of the, uh, you've got all the movie makers. This is the best. Yeah. So they were literally buried with all of these.
0: Dude, that is so, that is awesome. I love, thank you for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, I'll, uh, I'll repay you with a compliment. I think this is going to be their best reviewed Saw movie ever. Like, Uh, thank you. This is a really this is a real movie. Even for people who don't like horror movies, it works as detective movie. It works as a drama. I was like, this was the first movie I got to go back and see in a theater in a long time. But what a way to do it! It was
1: so much fun, and uh, it's crazy. I mean, I, I'll tell you that I felt so nervous coming back because I was so lucky to have been able to have my first movie I ever did open number one and. And, um, you know, I, I remember right after that, it was just this kind of surreal moment of realizing I was 25 years old, had number one movie. And they said, we want you to come back for saw three. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a little reluctancy. Cause I was like, fuck, I, I just had number one movie. Do I want to go back? I did it. You know, got you know, got it again. Number one again. And it's like <laughs> going to, it's like, it's like blackjack. Like I should have walked away from the casino, but I doubled down again. And then there's saw four. And it opens number one. And then I was like, I have to, I can't, I I have to leave on top. I don't want to jump the shark. I've had three number one movies. And at that time I said, I'll never come back. I was like, this is it. I've done my time. I've killed as many people as I can. (laughs) And then you get a phone call 15 years later and they're like, Hey, Chris Rock wants to meet with you. And I'm like, Chris Rock. And I knew the reason I left saw at the time was I didn't know what more I could do. I, I felt it was very, it was on rails. It was on a track. And I felt that even if I fell asleep while shooting, the movie would continue on. The crew would know what to do. The producers would know what to do. And there was nothing new that I could bring to it. But then you hear Chris Rock wants to do something. I'm like, okay, this is new. This is something I can see. And then you know, the minute I met with him and I heard kind of his take, which was we set out to make 48 hours meet seven. And I think that that tone balance is just so cool because it's got gore, it's got blood, but it's much more of a buddy cop procedural thing with like a dark twist, which I think was just the best way to take the Saw franchise in. Yeah.
0: Well, and he's funnier in it than he's been in a while because I mean, in the Fargo show that was, you yeah. know, yeah. but he wasn't funny exactly. I mean, he was playing it very serious. So yeah. it was nice to see him be Chris Rock.
1: Uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. And I think that he had such a great, he was such a great collaborator because he would... um he would like come to set and he like i remember like we were on week one of shooting and so he goes you know i was reading the script last night and i just don't dig my opening he's like i think originally he was uh introduced at a weed store like you saw him busting a weed store and mm-hmm. he was like i can do better than this and i was like what And he's like i don't know i'm gonna go home and think about it and the next day <laughs> he shows up with four pages which is the forest gump monologue and i'm like yeah that's awesome <laughs> and, and he would do that a lot where he would just um he would look at scenes and we even shoot scenes. Where then he would go back and say, no, he's like, it's too serious. It's, it's becoming melodramatic. Let's do it again. And then he would add like a one line joke in it. And yeah. it changed the entire scene. It, it made the scene fun and uh, more engaging. And I'll give you like one example. So he yeah. shot a scene where he's, uh, he, he just found out that he's got the Boz case and the whole department hates him. And he walks in and he says, I know some of you guys can't stand me. Some of you even hate me. And then he continues on. Well, he thought it was too melodramatic so he comes back the next day and goes i know some of you can't stand me i know some of you hate me some of you are mad that i fucked your mother and then <laughs> it goes on after that and that one little line just changed everything about that scene and i think that his kind of 48 hours take was exactly what the saw franchise needed
0: yeah yeah it really works i mean it was a very fun movie one thing i wondered about as as i was watching this You're the person who has to kind of draw the line for, you know, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable in these movies that are known for pushing it as far as you can. Yeah. How do you do that? Do you have rules? Do you go like, we're not going to do this again? We are going to do this.
1: Do you know, it was not one thing that I I was um, not prepared for this time around was the battle with the MPAA Mm. because, you know, Saw 2, 3, and 4 all got the NC-17 and it became like the thing with the Saw franchise. but 15 years have passed since i left saw and tv has become ultra violent like something you would see on hannibal for example (laughs) was much more violent than anything we did in saw two or three um so i when i read the script i mean there was violence in it but i was like okay this is not going to be an issue this is much more commercial it's a much more mainstream approach to a saw film um and then we shot it and uh the first, I remember when the MPA saw it, they were like, are you joking? Are you fucking with us right now? <laughs> this is in <laughs> 17 And I'm like, what, there, what, what? No, it's not, there's not that much bad stuff in it. I mean, American Horror Story makes me gag with some of the stuff they do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we thought we were approaching this in a much more kind of mainstream mentality than I ever had before on a film, which is why I was a little shocked on the rating board for, we eventually got the R. Um, but, yeah, there, we actually set out on this one to say, in Saw 2, 3, and 4, the traps went above the narrative, as bad as that is. We, we said that the traps were the gimmicks, fans love the blood and guts, so we always made sure that we hyper-focused on them. This time around, we said the traps go beyond the story, like, story first, traps underneath that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the... I, I think that as I've gotten older, as a 40, as a 42 year old person with it's married and has kids, um, I don't, the, the excitement of blood and violence is much different. Yeah, I find yeah. myself much more disturbed and much harder to watch things that 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have laughed at. Yeah. I can't watch a lot of shit now. I, I can't watch, um, you know, to, and also I think my definition of horror has changed. Uh, you know, horror to me as a father is much different now than it ever has. Like to me, children in peril or danger, um, families being separated, those type of things to me cause such a, like I saw a TV show recently called your honor with Brian Cranston. Right. And yeah. a, as a father, that was the most horrific thing that I'd seen on TV in years, years. It's not a horror film per se, but the horror hit me differently. Um, So, yeah, I think that I approach violence different now. And I think the situations that I would put people in have to be different uh, because I have to wake up and feed my kids and look at them. And, you know, uh, so, yeah, I think that there has been a definite change in me over the years as I approach violence. It's so interesting you
0: said that because, I mean, there is there is some parent stuff in this movie. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but. When I became a parent, a lot of movies became a lot more effective than they were before. Like we saw Jurassic Park over the weekend and I forgot how much child endangerment is in Jurassic Park. And it is yeah. incredibly dramatic and successful.
1: And I didn't even remember there were kids in Jurassic Park. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like uh, I have, you know, I have changed and I, I, maybe it has something to do with the fact that the amount of TV I watch with my kids now. And I see how it affects them. I, I watch how they emulate what they see on TV. Also, I want to make something at some point that my kids can actually watch. Yeah. Uh, you ask about my kid, like they come in this room and my daughter would scream if she saw that, like she is. Um, but I think, listen, I still love horror. I, I watch The Last Drive-In every week on Shudder with, uh, you know, and, and I love exploitative films. Yeah. But there are certain things I wouldn't do now that I wouldn't have had a problem with 15 years ago, for sure.
0: Yeah. Also, I don't think it's spoiling anything to say no harm comes to any kids in this no. movie.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, no. at, and, then, and it's not even like you dangle it and then pull back or something. I mean, there's I don't think there are any no. kids in this movie.
1: No, there, there's not. Um, it definitely has a father-son dynamic in here, uh, yeah. but both adults, yeah.
0: Yeah. This kind of gets into the last question.
1: What scares you now? It, it is family. It's, it's all family. And I think that, you know, of all the movies that I've made, the one that I think resonates with me resonates with me the most, from a just guttural fear level, is Mother's Day, which is right over there, because you know, um, you know, I have a home, and part of my job as a as a father and, and a husband is a protector. You know, I have to protect my family, and realizing um, how exposed we all are—that all it takes is one person to kick in your front door, and all that all that goes away. So I yeah. think that what scares me is not being able, I'll tell you one of the scariest stories that happened to me recently and it happened during the pandemic. I went to Colorado Springs and uh, I was driving home to see my family in Kansas and we, we, we stayed over in Colorado where it was just my son and I. And we went out to walk the dog broad daylight and um, I had to walk through this park to get where we were going and there was a homeless encampment there. And there was, you know, people in tents, uh, all these displaced people. Uh, and we were just walking through it and I was FaceTiming with my mom. And uh, as we're walking through, this guy screams, he's filming us. And, oh and this guy comes out of the tent. Now, this is the height of the pandemic. I'm talking, this is when uh, like stay at home orders, no one was doing anything. Yeah. Um, my son and I had our masks on. Next thing we know, we're surrounded by about 14 people. None of them wearing masks and they are screaming and trying to grab the phone because they think that we're filming them when I'm FaceTiming with my mom. In that moment, I felt so much fear for my kid and the yeah. safety of my son who's little. He's at that point he was five years old. Oh god. And there god. was so there was so fear. And I was like, Henry on three we're running. And mm-hmm. having to literally like those. So to me, I think my fear is much more paternal uh, now. Uh, protecting them and making sure that they, you know, don't come in harm's way. Henry on three
0: were running is pretty
1: fucking gangster though. We yeah, did. I know. I know, we did it, we got out, no one uh, no one got hurt, and uh, we were able to, uh, to to back it out. You're a hero, Dad, he's gonna remember that forever. I know, I know. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, um, my next question is totally anticlimactic, and I'm sorry for how not as good as that story yeah. is. How can we never name the city? You never named the city in the song movies. Why never name the city? Oh,
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's actually a funny thing. You, you, I think you asked earlier about like when, when we start off, are there, are there things we won't do? Yeah. Um, there are rules that Dan Hefner, Mark Berg and Oren Kulis, the film's producers kind of have. And one of them is, is that they never want to name the, the city it takes place in. And it, it became a thing in Saw 1 uh, mm-hmm. that James never named it. And it just became something that we did as well. Uh, there used to be a, a rule book that was kind of posted when you walked in the production office, kind of jokingly. Um, those have all changed now with with Spiral, but it was like no driving shots, no naming of the city, no license. Like it was a whole thing, and now we've kind of thrown that all away because we do driving shots. We are all outside, uh, but yeah, it was just part of the mystique of it that we never that we never named it. Now that said, a fun piece of trivia is if you when you watch the movie, we did buy stock shots. And you'll see. I think we mixed the city as Philadelphia, Boston, and New York. Maybe if you, I've had a couple of people that have reached out to me that have recognized the uh, the stock shots in the movie, like the overhead flying shots. But yeah, we we don't put it on any police police uniforms. It's it's nothing like that.
0: Yeah, there's a Reddit thread
1: proving that it's New York City, and it's like, oh, no. well, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there is. That's the fans on this franchise are the most rabid, insane group of people where they will literally freeze frame, freeze frame uh, trailers, pull them out, zoom. Like there was a, there was a Reddit discussion in the day where they, were, they saw a reflection in someone's glasses and they were trying to, to, to figure out what the reflection was. I mean, you never think about that when you're making them. I guess you do when you're making a Saw movie, but like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. They piece the movie together now based on the footage that is out there. Uh, there's an edit that you can find on Reddit of where they think the scenes have gone in, with everything that's been released unbelievable
0: yeah well they're wrong there's so many good twists in the movie <laughs> well thank you and i'm not going to spoil anything for anyone but go see it it's great
1: uh i really appreciate that thank you so much and thanks for talking i really appreciate it of course. I, we have the magazines that's the best thing ever absolutely do and maybe next time we won't have to wait 12 years to uh to talk again <laughs> uh soft right. 75 yeah exactly jigsaw in space i've been trying to put stuff <laughs> versus the leprechaun I know. Please make that happen. Folks, I don't know what to
0: tell you. I just geeked out. I had a great time talking with Darren Lynn Balsman, director of Spiral in theaters this Thursday, May the 14th. If you've enjoyed this, I hope you will subscribe or recommend it to a friend or say, listen, the interviewer keeps laughing. It's incredibly annoying. And then leave five stars to indicate your strong displeasure. Also, another mea culpa, I did say at the end of our last episode with David Oyelowo that our next episode would feature Craig Zobel, director of Mare of on HBO. That of course was not true, instead you got Darren Bousman, which is pretty great. Don't worry, you're still going to get Craig Zobel, he will be on our next episode talking about Mare Easttown, which is so good. Alright, again, I'm Tim Malloy from Movie Maker visit us any damn time at moviemaker.com. Thank you
1: for listening and see you back here very soon.